Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Z, A World Never Mentioned. Now before we start, I think it's probably the best idea to begin this episode on a good note before we get to all the fun things we have planned today. So today, March 13th, one year ago from now, in 2020, my classmates and I were just completely bamboozled. We were informed of having this two-week break from school due to this coronavirus that Most of us only barely knew of because of the news, and no one knew how deadly this could be. However, 365 days later, we are still here, quarantined. But the good news is that we can finally sense a bit of normalcy. Normalcy to the point where the Texas governor thought it was a great idea to completely just end the mask mandate. And although it may be a bit too soon, it's important to understand the progress the globe has made in combating this vaccine. Globally, around 335 million doses of the vaccine have been administered, and in the United States, 10% of the population is fully vaccinated. And with this, the cases and deaths have been falling steeply, and it's just amazing to realize that things such as a vacation or just even a normal outing wouldn't even be considered controversial anymore. Today, we'll be deviating from the way our episodes usually run. This time, we are not just going to focus on a small region of this magnificently diverse planet, but instead, we will be covering information about the importance of traveling, and along with that, we'll be providing you with three adventurous people who will share their experiences about the many places they have traveled to. However, before we start, Let's talk about why people should just go out there and explore the world. I'm going to bring this back to the whole discussion to one of our favorite psychologists, Abraham Maslow. The Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is a pyramid of necessities that we need from our lives from bottom to top, is basically where you have priorities including safety and security or belongingness and esteem. But at the top of our pyramid, there's a term that Maslow coined known as self-actualization. We go through this humanistic phase where we really want to reach our full potential and achieve what we are capable of. But self-actualized people have a purpose in life. They're fulfilled. They have growing mindsets. They want to learn more about themselves. And that can only be accomplished by learning about others. And that is why we need to travel to expand our vision of the world and be more open-minded. We can find who we are when we adapt to different environments and people. And through travel, we are exposed to different cultures as each country is just completely different. Therefore, travel is great for society and global humanity. Traveling even benefits our mental health, which has definitely been impacted during this pandemic. Now let's move on to what we've been looking forward to the panel discussion with our three amazing people. Let's begin. First up, we have Mr. Shobin Saxena. Saxena is an international correspondent, scholar, and a cultural curator. Based in Brazil since 2012, Saxena is the first ever and only Indian journalist to report from South America. Saxena is married to a Brazilian journalist and author Florencia Costa, who is also the editor of Beco da India, a popular website promoting Indian culture in Brazil. In a career spanning 25 years, 
Saxena has reported widely from New York, London, Sao Paulo, and Rio de Janeiro. In the Asian region, he has traveled extensively to Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Japan, South Korea, the United Arab Emirates, and many more, from where he has reported on elections, wars, and other international issues. An expert on India-China relations, Saxena has done numerous articles, features, analyses, and comments on the relationship between Asia's two emerging countries, with a focus on Tibet. Next up, we have Miss Rini Dutta. Rini is originally from India, but resides now in the D.C. metropolitan area. Rini has a background in mathematics from St. Stephen's College in Delhi and a master's in computer applications from the University of Pune. She's worked in software development and later a full-time homemaker with some ongoing projects. She's also the owner of an indie publishing company, Moina Books. Incidentally, the first book published by Moina Books is an insightful travelogue titled Hop, Stop, and Go. Now, I've read this and I just loved the way the places were described and it felt as if I was almost traveling with the author. And fun fact, the book even helped in inspiring me to develop this podcast in the first place. Additionally, she's working on executing some online training projects through her company, Technomanage LLC. Rennie has three children, one who just started college, and twins who are in high school. And some of her interests are poetry, photography, music, and of course, traveling. Some of the countries checked on her bucket list include Canada, Switzerland, Holland, Spain, Austria, Germany, Czech Republic, Belgium, France, Italy, England, Singapore, Malaysia, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Costa Rica, Barbados, St. Lucia, St. Martin, Dominican Republic, Bhutan, Thailand, and New Zealand. That was a lot to say, and I'm just really looking forward to hearing what Rini has to share about her travel experience. And finally, we have Dr. Shafiq Yusuf. Shafiq specializes in diabetes and endocrinology and lives near Cambridge in the United Kingdom with his wife and son. He spent most of his childhood in Oman and Singapore and attended medical school at Manipal University in India, along with the Malacca Manipal Medical College. He is a member of the Royal College of Physicians and has worked in Manipal, Malaysia, Oman, and now in the United Kingdom. In his free time, Shafiq loves to draw and stay fit through jogging, swimming, and playing tennis. In addition to some of the countries he stayed and worked in, Shafiq has also traveled to the UAE, Indonesia, France, Australia, and Jordan. Now, Shafiq is also my uncle, but a fun fact for our listeners, especially those of Kerala origin, is that he is the brother-in-law of Malayalam film superstar Fahad Fazil. So introducing to you all, Shobin Saxena, Rini Dutta, and Shafiq Yusuf. First and foremost, thank you so much for dedicating your Sunday evening from three different continents and time zones. I know it is a little late for you in the UK, right, Shafiq? Uh, what is it, like 10, 1030 over there? Yeah, I'm <laughs> close to 11 now. Yeah, and again, I'm just so excited to have you all with me. So let's dive right in. For our listeners, here's how the discussion segment is going to go. I'll be asking our knowledgeable panel a few questions pertaining to their vast experience in traveling. We will be covering a variety of topics from good eats and fun tour sites to the impact travel has had on them overall. In the interest of time for most questions, I'll be picking two of you to answer each one in the general round. We'll also have a special rapid fire round where all will take turns to answer the question in one word or sentence well rapidly. 
So I promise this will be an insightful, fun, and casual conversation. And hopefully after almost a year being quarantined in this pandemic, hearing about the awesome adventures these wonderful people have embarked on will give you tips to help you plan your next expedition, which I hope we all can very soon. So any questions from the three of you before we start? And also, if you don't mind, I'll be humbly addressing you all by your first names, if that's okay. That's perfectly fine. All right. That'll be fine. Great. Let's begin. So coming to our first question. So now that we know from the intro that you've all traveled to many countries, if you had to pick a place to live in, where would it be and why? And this must be a place different from where you currently reside. So Shafiq, why don't you start the conversation off? Well, I'll, I'll answer the question by saying uh, Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And this is because um, their tagline is uh, Malaysia, truly Asia. And I think that tagline really suits the country. Um, I, as you know, I'm, uh, we all know that I'm a Malayali, I'm a, uh, from Kerala, India. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would say that Malaysia is exactly like Kerala without its problems. Fantastic <laughs> roads, uh, you know, the amazing toll system, um, um, a very international cosmopolitan uh, kind of a feel with um, uh, uh, different types of races and, and, and uh, uh, but, uh, but ma- maintaining that Asian feel. Uh, so I would say Malaysia, not to work in, but maybe mm-hmm. perhaps retiring, t- retiring, I, I would consider, definitely consider Malaysia. Awesome. In my opinion, it just seems to me that the countries in Southeast Asia are just so underrated. They're so modernized. They have many opportunities and they're also very diverse. Um, what about you, Rini? Uh, yes, my pick, uh, it's a bit biased, but it would be India. Besides having extended family and friends there, I find the diversity there absolutely fascinating. Uh, There's a a lot of diversity uh, in terms of people, places, history, as well as culture. And also another thing that I find wonderful over there is the vibrance of the place. So um, if you'd like to leave, if if you'd like me to leave that out since I uh, grew up there, well, um, I would would, uh, mention two places. Mm-hmm. Um, in my earlier travels, I remember visiting Paris and I felt a spontaneous feeling of it being my dream city to live in. Oh, wow. It is a really rich in heritage and it is a beautiful place buzzing with life. And uh, it's very easy to move around in Paris too. So, I mean, it was just a place, it seemed like a place where you can never get bored. And in my later travels, uh, one place I fell in love with was Costa Rica. It is mm-hmm. a beautiful country and um, a beautiful country. It's developed, not as developed as the US, but it's developed enough to live comfortably in and it has a rustic touch and a very stress-free, friendly atmosphere. And it's, uh, I mean, it's a place filled with natural beauty and friendly people and has retained its simplicity in this developed world, which I found really appealing. Cool. And I'm sure that Costa Rica is definitely a lot more developed than the rest of the Central Asia, um, Central American countries as well. If I had to choose a place to live in right now, at 16, I would probably have to say the Big Apple. It's closer to home where I live, uh, great food, and it's like a kind of a place where you just want to chase your dreams and party. So I guess as a 16-year-old, 
it just definitely seems to appeal to me. And uh, Chauvin, do you have anything else you want to add on? Yeah, I mean, just very quickly, my answer is a bit similar to what Shafiq said. Uh, he picked Malaysia, I'll pick Singapore. And for both professional reasons and uh, for the beauty of the city, it's a very, very exciting place. Uh, it is. Uh, it offers the best of both the West and the East. And, you know, it has a, a British colonial past. If you travel there, the you see different kind of influences, the Chinese influence, a very strong Indian influence, Indian food, uh, and, and people from other parts of Asia too. And as we all know, the the, the center of gravity of the uh, the world's economy is shifting more and more towards Asia with the rise of China and all that. Right. And this whole thing is becoming, the whole region is going to play a very important role. It already is, it's going to become more important, both geopolitically and culturally in the, in the years to come. So as a journalist, it feel, for me, it will be very exciting to be, you know, in the at the heart of the, to live in the heart of the place where all the action is. And with such um, rich culture, such vibrancy and such openness. And, and Singapore is a very, very modern city. In fact, we, growing up in India, we always heard the stories about how modern, how, how, how free, how liberal the city was. And I've been there a few times and it's a very exciting place and I've given an opportunity I would like to go there and live there and, and work as a journalist. Great. And uh, anything else? Um, um, there's a lot of similarities between Singapore and Malaysia. Um, and, and, you know, Singapore was actually uh, created uh, from Malaysia, uh, so to speak, if you look at it uh, historically. So, um, I mean, I, I lived a lot many years in Singapore, Shoban. So I, 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 can, I, can, I can relate to what you're saying. Uh, my mother actually was um, um, born and brought up in Singapore, and, and, and my entire mother's family are all Singaporeans. So uh, another beautiful place, uh, Singapore, um, a more refined, a more polished version of, uh, of Malaysia. Uh, it's something like what uh, Dubai is to uh, the rest of the Middle East. <laughs> so uh, nice choice. Singapore is, yeah, I agree. Singapore is definitely a very good balance of the East and the West and uh, close to India and uh, developed and things move very fast. There's no like, uh, uh, I mean, uh, move very fast in the sense there are no hurdles that, that way. I think it's very, very smooth. Um, so the system is very smooth out there. So yeah. there's definitely a lot of pluses there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, Shoban, uh, I mean, I, I believe you're from... Uh, uh, Brazil, is it? You're 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 stationed in. Uh, in I live in I live in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, you're Brazil. Yeah, yeah. My 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 sister was there actually. My sister was in uh, um, for three years. She was in uh, Rio, and uh, I really regret not visiting her during those three years. So I'm sure you know you're loving the place. Yeah, it's lovely. I think we'll talk about it more in in the subsequent questions. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Great, and um, I guess. We have a general consensus that Singapore would just be a great place to live in or retire in. So listeners, take note of that. And moving on to the next question, let's move on to some of the favorite tourist sites and delicacies. And we'll start with you, Chauvin. Yeah, I think uh, I will pick, without any hesitation, Rio de Janeiro. Um, Of course, I live in Sao Paulo and Rio is just 45 minutes from here. And by road takes about four to five hours to reach there. 
Uh, it is such a fascinating place. I've never seen a place which is a good mix of natural beauty, a great cultural life, of food. Everything about the city is, is just fantastic. The, the people of Rio call their city a marvelous city. Uh, in Portuguese, they call Cidade Marivelosa. A marvelous city, and it is, and they're very proud of it. Uh, it is one place in the world when you have the you have the sea, great beaches, mountains, and a national park in the in the heart of the city. In the middle of the city, there's a national park with fantastic wildlife. And if you spend the in the time in the in the nightlife quarters, um, fantastic bars and uh, samba clubs, uh, great music, dancing clubs. Uh, and and so much culture in each and every corner of the city yeah. because city is also famous for the, its carnival, but that happens during the February and March. It hasn't happened this year, but you can feel the buzz of the carnival in in throughout the city, throughout the year. All the famous poets and musicians and singers of Brazil, which popularize our uh, songs, uh, the the music like bossa nova, mm -hmm. came from Rio de Janeiro. So you can actually feel it. You can go to the bars and listen to their songs being sung by new singers, sit in the bar. The best, my favorite, my favorite, this cannot call uh, pastime, my favorite occupation in Rio is to sit in a bar near the beach, uh, sip a local drink, uh, or sip a beer and listen to Bossa Nova. Cool. So, uh, Rini, I know you've had a lot of delicious food when you were traveling. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, to be honest, we have not gone out of our way to seek out delicacies, but still, um, some things do stand out in my memory memories. Um, so, we were visiting the tulip gardens in Holland when we, of course, got hungry and we had to stop for food out there. And uh, um, there is this, this, you must have had troop waffles. Um, it's a sign of, you could, it's something like cookies. And um, you get it out here in stores and my children loved it before. Um, and they, they have always liked it, but I was never, I was never crazy about it until I had fresh troop waffles out there and they were so delicious. I mean, I totally fell in love with it. It's, it was warm and soft and sweet and, uh, uh, now I go and buy Stroop waffles at the store simply to remember those. <laughs> wow, that, that just sounds really delicious. It does. Mm. It is. And uh, the other thing comes to my mind is not even a delicacy. It's pizza, which we always have. Uh, so we are used to pizza. But when we went to Naples and had pizza out there, that is the most authentic uh, pizza that you can get. I mean, that's sort of the place where it originated almost, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, the pizza out there was very different from what we are used to. The base was thin and soft and the pizza, I mean, I cannot describe the flavor. It tasted very, I mean, it tasted delicious and fresh. And uh, the base, especially, it uh, sort of reminded me almost of uh, the naan that we have in Indian cuisine. Oh, okay. And uh, a little thinner than naan actually, but uh, mm -hmm. it was very different. So I, we, I was really uh, like... Uh, surprised and, and impressed with the dish yes i can completely relate to that i mean i just remember the pizza from rome is so much more fresh than what we have in the u.s and honestly being from the u.s i could never get tired of pizza just so just imagine the quality of it in rome but now that you brought a pizza from naples i'm now really eager to go there as well 
exactly <laughs> and uh, one more thing that comes to my mind is the handmade belgian chocolates we got in bruges in belgium they were out of the world being a chocolate fan that just sounds awesome and shafiq what about you um when it comes to food um i will say uh, again malaysia my my sound cliche but again malaysia because of the the fusion foods the satay which is um, you know uh, chunks of uh, chicken or or, or beef uh, uh, barbecued and served with peanut sauce you have chendol which is uh, uh, amazing and, and and there's a lot of overlap with singapore cuisine um but singapore definitely uh, wins in terms of um you know the quality of food and 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 the kind of places and it's also not the food but um, as as shoban was saying you know it's 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 also about how uh, you know the restaurants are open uh, concept because the weather facilitates that sitting outside in malaysia especially it's cheaper to eat out uh, than to uh, cook at home so uh, whether whether it's healthy or not is a different uh, question but um <laughs> um it's 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 a it's a culture there it's a culture uh, of food and uh, that's something that's that uh, it's always in my memory love it and uh for me i guess it would have to be uh the tourist site would probably have to be rome um when i visited 2 years ago and an unforgettable unique dish i had there was a famous street food known as supli uh they are these deep fried rice balls coated in bread crumbs and stuffed with mozzarella and spice served in marinara and it was just an explosion of flavors in your mouth similar to that of bani puri wow i'm just thinking about that i feel super hungry but i think it was like when i was eating it while enjoying the aesthetic and picturesque streets was probably what contributed to why the delicacies just so nostalgic for me as well but um moving on to our next question through travel what celebrations or traditions were you able to experience firsthand now for this question i know rini has been able to experience some traditional dances with the native people so let's hear from her first uh yes dance is a great way to get a feel of the culture of the place so we at in different places we made it a point to go and see the native dance out there so when we went visited new zealand we went to see the haka dance of the native uh, tribe out there indigenous population out there called um, maoris mm-hmm. so that is originally a war dance but now it is part of festivities and ceremonies and it's got a lot of uh, expressions like it uh, incorporates a lot of fierce expressions in it and it was a really um, different experience we had never seen nothing like anything like it before love it and uh, then uh, when we went to spain we um, made it a point to see the flamenco uh, dance out there and that's of course a really um, um i mean it's a lot of there's a lot of color a colorful clothing and uh, hand movement it's a little bit like uh, the grace and the hand movements do remind you a bit of uh, indian dances but uh, the beats remind you of african dances so uh, it's a very interesting mix Mm-hmm. and um then uh, in argentina in buenos aires we uh, went and um, experienced the tango dance which is a very lively dance performed by two people 
lively and uh, romantic dance. So that was another, um, we really enjoyed all these experiences and all of these were uh, typically in local bars um, while eating the local food. So it was a lot of fun. Wow, those dances actually all sound very fun. And when I was in the Dominican Republic, I got a chance to learn bachata, and which is definitely much easier than flamenco or tango. However, I just remember seeing the haka dance being performed in rugby stadiums and just in general, especially by the Maori people. And I just love the energy they put into each step and move. That's right. Mm-hmm. It, uh, they, um, they seem to have a, it's a combination of skill and energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I think they, I, I'm glad that uh, they really value it out there. It's like, it's a, uh, I mean, it's the original dance of that place, even though the population now there is a mix, but that dance has survived and let's really value it. It's used in a lot of ceremonies and all. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, Shobin, what about you? I, I have a few uh, good experiences. Um, I think I distinctly remember attending the Korean New Year uh, in South Korea when I, I lived there and I studied there. Uh, very, very interesting. It, it falls in generally in the month of January. They follow the lunar calendar. And it's a three-day festival, and uh, it is the biggest family gathering you will ever see. You know, it's not, it's not just a, it's a gathering of families. It's a gathering of entire clans. Uh, people gather at the homes of the eldest, uh, oldest male relative. And for three days of, of cooking and eating and dancing and singing and playing games, it's just fantastic. You know, coming from India, we also value our family system a lot, you know, value our, our, our family relations and the cousins. But uh, you see it actually uh, in practice. Um, I will say in more than India, I saw it when I saw the, the Koreans celebrating the New Year. It was a, it was a, it was a great experience for me. Um, Another experience which I always remember was the the Eid in Kabul. Of course, uh, we are very familiar with Eid because it's uh, one of the big festivals in India. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I was there in two thousand nine covering the presidential election, and there was a lot of tension in the air because of the on the day of the election there has been a terrorist attack. Uh, rockets were flying over the city. Oh and my God! In, in, in the, yeah, and in fact, there was a car bombing ahead of my in a car in which I was traveling with my wife. Uh, just hundred meters ahead, there was a, a car exploded. Uh, and in the middle of that, such a, and we were covering the election, writing about it, and we, we went to the market in the evening. We saw people actually doing eat shopping, you know, celebrate. That was actually the last day of Ramzan, uh, the day I was leaving Kabul. But mm-hmm. in the middle of in such uncertainty and fear and tension, uh, the way people were, were you know, uh, uh, celebrating, buying sweets, buying clothes, buying stuff, other stuff for children, family. Uh, it, I mean, it was a, it was a great feeling of the, the resilience of human spirit for me uh, to celebrate a festival in such uh, difficult times. It was fantastic. Wow, I am extremely amazed by what you're able to experience at such a time, and coming to Korean New Year. It just fascinates me how togetherness is such an important part of these cultures as a result of collectivist societies. And I think that's what really makes Korean New Year so beautiful. 
That's true. Yeah. And then for Eid, I guess I've been very blessed to experience Eid in both India and in Dubai. And while both have been very unique because of being with your extended family, I just have to say that celebrating Eid in the United States also has that same feeling. I mean, being in a huge gathering of 60 to 70 families, you have all these food and games. It's just equally special. And it's just something that we've never missed um any time except for last year because of the pandemic yeah, just one uh, very quick point the the korean new year is called siolal and the whole purpose of this korean new year is to pay tribute to the ancestors and that's why the families come together i think so it's such a beautiful idea that you know you start a new year by remembering and paying tribute to your ancestors and that i think it keeps the the clans and families together Yes, uh, definitely celebrating um, your ancestors does seem to be quite a common yet beautiful aspect of many cultures. But moving on to the next question. Now, every country has their own interesting custom or odd practice. Uh, What custom have you encountered that you found really unique that you never really heard of until you actually visited the place? Let's start this one with Shafiq. Whilst I was in Malaysia, I noticed uh, a lot of uh, uh, body gestures, which um, reflects, uh, you know, uh, a lot of humility uh, amongst the Malays. And I, I have incorporated some of them uh, into my body language, uh, even though I'm in England at the moment. So one of which is, you know, when when two people are talking to each other, and for some reason you have to go through them. And uh, rather than just saying, excuse me, interrupting them and then, you know, uh, going across, what they do is they, they kind of bow, they bow, slightly bow, they extend their right hand, they put the, um, uh, the left hand underneath that, and they have this very humble gesture. And the people who are talking to each other, when they see the gesture, they, they understand very quickly that this person wants to go between us. Uh, I found that very interesting, and 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 that is essentially what differentiates uh, you know the Western world and 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 and, and Asian world. Uh, and uh, I have I I I I till today do it, and people understand just by my gesture that you know I don't have to explain to them what I mean. Uh, yeah. They get it. <laughs> I really love that you brought it up because I feel like. They're just really those minor instances or customs that really have somewhat of a big difference between different cultures. But uh, Shobin, what about you? Well, I'm very biased here because I live in Brazil and uh, so I like to talk about Brazilian carnival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been living here since 2012, but I came on a visit first time in 2010. And that was my first experience of attending the, the carnival. And this is such a unique custom. Uh, I've never seen in any country people doing non-stop party for three weeks during the carnival. The whole country comes to a stop, but it's not just the the, the party aspect of it which makes it really uh, so interesting. Uh, it is is that time of the year where the 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 whole country actually turns into a fantasy. People go out on the street in costumes. You can you can dress as as uh, whatever you want. A man can dress as a woman. Woman can dress as a 
man. And you can just uh, play out any fantasy. Actually, the fantasy becomes reality and reality looks more like fantasy during this time. And how uh, Brazil is not a small country. It's a country of about 220 million people. And there, there's not even a single soul which, is, which doesn't participate in, the, in this festival, you know, in for, for, for many days. It, the party begins at six in the seven in the morning and go on till midnight and beyond. It's it's unbelievable. And also the, the, the quality of music is mostly samba music they play. And the of course the the, the carnival parade is very famous, uh, especially Rio, but every city have their own carnival parade. And one thing people don't know much about the carnival outside Brazil is the, what is called a bloco party. The bloco party is basically a street party. People gather on a street and they have parties based on certain theme. They play a certain kind of music. They do perform certain kind of dance. And uh, in a city of Sao Paulo, there are more, hundred, more than 600 bloco parties. And I like to uh, brag about a bit about myself here. Uh, I, me and my wife, we created a block of Bollywood, an Indian-themed carnival party here in 2016, and it has become one of the one of the attractions of carnival in Sao Paulo. So, making use of the the carnival atmosphere, we play Bhangra music, we play Bollywood music, and last year we had 8,000 people in the heart of Sao Paulo dancing to Indian music in Brazilian carnival. So, because I found it's the carnival experience so fascinating, so unique. I could not help it, but, you know, give it a bit of Indian uh, twist to it. Now, who would have thought of such a cool mingling of cultures between India and Brazil? Like, what a fusion. That just that just sounds awesome. And Carnival is definitely now on my list experience. And it's great because I was actually able to talk about my first episode on this podcast. And what a party. But I guess for me, the custom that I would probably remember a lot is... Um, I remember going to India for the first time and seeing how almost every household has a maid who is confined to the kitchen. Uh, they sleep on the floor and uh, she eats separately from the family. And I was quite intrigued by this, especially since maids aren't really common at all in Western culture. I remember asking my aunt in Chennai why the maid was just not joining us at the table. So I, w- I just found that really interesting, especially coming from the West. Now, our final question before we start the rapid fire round, and that would be, how has travel changed you all? And did it change your outlook on the world? And let's start with Shafiq on this one. Well, um, I think um, most of my life I was in the Middle East. Uh, The way I looked at the world was very different. Um, uh, Very conservative brought up. Um, Then I moved into India. And I think India is far more modern than uh, than the Middle East. Uh, oh, really? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, especially if you're doing your university years there, and uh, you meet, um, you know, you're there with without your parents, and your your mind tends to open up a bit. You then go to Singapore, Malaysia, UK, and then you realize that uh, you know a lot of things that you have lived or believed in. Uh, in your previous uh, are quite outdated and uh, I think I'm in England now and I feel um, uh, very happy actually that I've come here because um, 
my mind has really opened up and i think uh, the gender bias the um, judging a person based on his profession um uh, on on sexuality what not has as disappeared especially in the last uh, four and a half five years that i've been in england of course when you you're, you're really used to it with, um, amongst your colleagues and 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 in discussion with friends and how uh, your colleagues uh, look down upon you you know when you talk about maids and and, and house helps and things in the past you know so i feel uh, traveling is very important because you can break all these misconceptions and look at everyone uh, equally only comes with travel what a great way to talk about it and uh, shobhan what about you oh uh, traveling i think if you, if you ask me it's not a, a lesson it's more than a, a more a conclusion from my travels around the world uh, when you travel you realize how big and how diverse the world is but at the same time you also realize how interconnected we all are you know i've traveled mostly i've never traveled for pleasure i've traveled for work all mm-hmm. um you know you experience uh, you encounter different languages different customs traditions taste different foods it, it it shows you the the richness of the world of course we come from india which itself is a very rich country in terms of cultures you know we have a uh, uh, different kind of cuisines in india different kind of music and and on so many languages so we are very used to multiculturalism which is a new something uh being discussed in the west now but when you go out of india you see another kind of multiculturalism the, the vastness of the world and what it has to offer i think it expands your horizon it makes you a very rich person in terms of uh exposure to culture and i think it makes you more open and more liberal person also more free person you know it frees you from all the biases and prejudices you may have at least that has been my experience because being a journalist you, i uh, it's not that you always travel for fun or for pleasure tourist please you go to difficult places i've been to uh, covered elections in pakistan in afghanistan in iran um uh, and during very, very difficult times uh but you still you see the the richness of people and how people uh, help you when i went to pakistan to cover the election uh i hired taxi many times uh for my work and the taxi drivers they refused to take money from me when they came to know i was from india i was very touched by the by the gesture because these are poor people driving taxi and they refusing to take money from me because uh they knew they came to know i was a journalist from india so i think such stories uh, make you very um or definitely add to your personality so that has been my conclusion that you 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 learn to appreciate the world more its richness and the humanity of the people it makes you a better person fascinating and rini what about you uh yes i um uh, what i have to say is uh, similar to what uh, shobhan just shared uh, i feel that travel widens uh, the borders of home uh in my case it reinforced the feeling that the world belongs to all of us um it i mean even though there's a lot of variety and um, we and this uh, i mean you come to re- get to realize there's so many treasures we have in this world 
And yet at the same time, uh, I mean, one tends to feel that, okay, we belong to the world or the world belongs to us. It's like, it's uh, instead of uh, sort of differentiating between um, the different segments and the countries and all that, because people are not really that dif different. Even though language can be a barrier, most people that we came across uh, were friendly and made, uh, made a lot of effort to communicate and help. For example, in Switzerland, once we were in a wrong bus and headed, heading in the wrong direction. And when somebody, I mean, he didn't even know English. So this person realized that we wanted to go somewhere and he spoke only German and he somehow managed to convey to us that we were going in the wrong direction and we needed to get off and take another bus. And uh, in Brazil, we had, uh, like, uh, we stayed at an Airbnb and the host accompanied us to uh, a lot of places that he wanted to take us out to. I mean, that was a total surprise. He just uh, took us with him along with his uh, young son. And uh, so, and um, yeah, and in Costa Rica, I remember this too. Um, like we, our cab uh, for the airport did not turn up. We needed to go to the airport and the cab did not turn up. And the owner of the resort took, took us himself. He decided that we were getting late and he just gave us a ride to the airport. So um, it just, um, changes your perception, opens up your borders, basically. Excellent responses from all three of you. And I really love how you guys brought out a specific experience from your own travels to explain why you just love to go to all these countries in your free time. And unfortunately, we do have to move on to our rapid fire round, which is the most exciting part of this podcast. So um, I'll be asking you guys a question and in a different order for each one, you guys will each have to try your hardest to answer the question in under five seconds, if possible. Does that make sense? Yes. All yes, right. Let's go ahead. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So for our first question, the order we'll go in is Shafiq, Shobin, and Rini. And our first question is your favorite foreign word. Go. Ciao. Ciao. Okay. Shobin? Uh, obrigado. Which means right. thank you in Portuguese. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Rini? <laughs> That's, I don't really have a favorite. Hola, maybe. Nice. Uh, simple words you guys have all chosen. So great. Uh, our next question this one will be Shobin, then Rini, then Shafiq. The weirdest thing you guys have seen in your trip? A guy having beer at six in the morning. Oh my God. <laughs> in a small Brazilian town. Okay, nice. And um, Rini, you're next. Oh yes, it's not really a weird, but it was just fascinating. Um, like when we were in Barbados, um, when you, um, uh, when, when the bus rides used to be really interesting, people uh, would, uh, um, the conductors would be dancing to music and uh, selling tickets. And you sit on in the back of the bus, you would see all sorts of uh, hairstyles. I do not know how I never ended up taking a photograph, but all you see in front is diverse hairstyles hair, uh, hair up in front. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it was a party in the bus. Buses used to be a party. That was kind of very interesting. You know what? The U.S. should really just adopt that kind of way of partying the bus. And uh, Shafiq? Uh, and, um, there's an animal called um, Kanchil which is a mouse deer. It's a deer, the size, uh, it looks like a, a cross between a deer and a mouse. And it's quite small, very strange. 
indeed very strange. Alright, so next question. An item you have bought but never used. And the order for this one will be Rini, Shafiq, then Shobin. Okay, so we bought, uh, when we went to Prague, we bought uh, these puppets, handmade puppets. And by the time we got back, I do not know why we bought it, because we were not planning to use it. We've never used it, and it broke. By the time we got back home and opened it up, it broke, but it's still hanging in uh, downstairs in the office. <laughs> nice, nice. Still there, I have never used it. Love that. Wooden puppets. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shafiq? So I was told that, uh, you know, the cows in Switzerland uh, are probably the most beautiful and the most uh, um, uh, healthy. And I bought uh, this um, bell that is hung around the uh, neck of a cow, but I've never used it so far. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. Okay. For a moment when you said about cows, I thought you actually bought a cow. I was going to be very yeah. surprised. <laughs> but love that. Yeah. So it's those cow both. Nice. Okay. And uh, Shobin? Oh, difficult to say, but I think I uh, uh, bought a lot of ginseng tea in Korea uh, mm. before flying back to India, but I never actually uh, learned to appreciate it. <laughs> very cool. So uh, for this question, very simple, country with the friendliest people, and we'll go Shobin, Rini, and then Shafiq. No doubt, Brazil. Okay. Um, Rini? Uh, I would say... Um... Costa Rica. All right. And uh, Shafiq? It'll be a tie between two countries, Malaysia and Oman. The friendliest people in the Middle East, Oman. Mm -hmm. And you could say the friendliest people in, in Asia, Malaysia. All right. Interesting. So for those of you who are curious to know which country has the most friendly people, well, there you go. Those are your answers. And our last question for the rapid fire round, the worst piece of travel advice you received this one will go Shafiq, then Shobin, then Rini. Um, I was always told uh, never to stay um, uh, in the cities of, of, of tourist countries, which I don't think is, uh, is the right thing. After a few uh, attempts with that advice, I, I, I kind of regret, uh, especially with Jordan. I think uh, Amman has a lot to offer, as, uh, as does the, the rural places with excavation sites. So that's not a, a good advice that I have received. Lovely. And uh, Shobin? Uh, when people tell me, be careful, uh, I think it's a wrong piece of advice. When you travel, you can't be, you, you don't, you have to be uh, free and open and with a spirit of, of experiment. Don't need to be too careful while traveling. Great answer. Uh, Rini? I generally haven't received any uh, bad piece of advice because typically we tend to just do our own uh, research and uh, planning and everything. Uh, so we don't even, we have not even, um, um, so no really bad advice, but bad recommendations, yes. Okay. Recommendations in terms of places to see. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all completely relate with that. Very understandable. But this last question did conclude our rapid fire round. I had a lot of fun. I hope you guys did too. And it was great to hear what you all had to say. But moving on and wrapping this up with our final question of the evening for all three of you, if someone wanted to start traveling around the world like you guys have, what advice would you provide them with? So uh, let's start with Rennie. 
Okay, so um, I would give two pieces of advice, basically. The first one is to do with the practical aspects. Some amount of planning always helps. Uh, for example, you uh, it's good to, re uh, especially when you're traveling with family, you, it's good to re look into how you would travel locally. And as well as if you have any language uh, um, challenges that you need to overcome. For example, my daughter uh, has food allergies. So wherever we traveled, if we did not, if they did not speak English, we got a written note with her, with a, with a list of her allergies so that we could just communicate with the restaurant owners and all and get together <laughs> the right kind of food. And right. also basic knowledge of currency costs and a basic plan for every day, uh, the places that you want to visit and all. But uh, my second point sort of co contradicts the planning, but it goes hand in hand. Uh, you need to have an open attitude. Basically, you need to be prepared for the unexpected. You need to be prepared for your plans not working out and just go with the flow and make the most of what you can see and do. Um, for example, you might have a rainy day, then you need to come up with some other plan and all. You might uh, encounter a terrible hot a room in the hotel and manage uh, with it. So it's the, uh, the attitude makes a lot of difference. Yeah, completely agree with that. I mean, with my own travels too, kind of running into a few hurdles, you kind of have to be flexible and definitely have an open mind. Um, what about you, Shobin? I think the most important is to uh, have an open mind, of course, and also have inquisitive mind. Uh, look around for play interesting places, look around for interesting people. Every country has interesting people, uh, history, and you know different aspects of culture. Generally, we people tend to go to the most famous and touristy places, mm -hmm. uh, but there are places which are kind of hidden, the histories which are hidden, their treasures which are hidden, we should try to find them. And uh, also, we should be able to embrace other cultures. When you travel other countries, you don't like everything about uh, another country, but that's, uh, we should learn to appreciate them. We don't have to like everything, but we should try to understand uh, because every culture has its own different historical roots. And we must have the, uh, uh, this attitude of trying to appreciate the differences in our cultures. Uh, so if you enjoy the flavors of the world it has to offer, you will enjoy traveling. Nice. And uh, Shafiq, you'll be wrapping us up. Um, well, uh, most of us, we tend to, in a short span of five days, seven days, two weeks holiday, we tend to go, 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 go and get all stressed out and, and get tired. But we are also happy at the same time because we're getting that checklist done. But I would highly recommend the last two days of your trip to wind down, pamper yourself, nice uh, resort, uh, and budget accordingly. So I usually sting a little bit in the, in the first few days, doing more activity. But the last two days, I really splurge on, on, on a nice hotel, relaxed, spa, things like that. Then That's only when, when you come back, you feel rejuvenated. All right, and that concludes the segment. I think by far this has been one of my favorite episodes to record. I've learned not only so much about traveling, but about you guys as people as well. And you guys were so elaborate. You provided us with some amazing tips. And honestly, it was just so refreshing to hear some positive experiences amid the pandemic. And I'm sure our listeners will be eager to travel more after listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for your cooperation and I must end this episode as usual with the famous quote and this one will be a mind that is stretched by a new experience 
can never go back to its old dimensions. Thank you all and have a great day.